invite you to take your Bible and open to Luke chapter 15. I hope you brought a Bible today. If you do not have one, um, I would love to give you one. And I love uh, when people use their electronic devices for Bibles. That's a great thing. I love when you have Bibles in front of us. You can write in and underline stuff. That's a great thing, too. And if you need a Bible for your home, please come see me after the worship service. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them a story, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. Jesus continued in this story, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the young son got together all that he had and set out for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran up to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring his fat, the, the fattened calf, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what was going on? And This is what he was told. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him now back safe and sound. Now the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate 
and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Early on, Christianity uh, was known by uh, a certain very short phrase. It was known as the way. It wasn't known as a system of beliefs. It wasn't known as a set of moral rules to follow. Christianity was known as the way. And as we go through what um, in you know, throughout church history has been known as the season of Lent, the six weeks before Easter, what I want to do is, is talk about the way, the way of Christianity, the real way of Christianity. And today what I want to do is look at what keeps us from living in that way. So I want to look at what keeps us from the way, what God does, and then what, what we can do. Um, and in the first two verses of this chapter, we see something very important about the way. The way is a relationship with a person. As Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders of his day um, are so angry with Jesus for doing that. Why is it? Because eating is relational. You don't, you know, you're not, not cramming food in a, in a quick 10-minute work break. Maybe with someone sitting across from you. In Jesus' day, mealtimes, eating together was a way of having a relationship. The way is a relationship with the person, the living God, who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, invites us to have a relationship with him. And this is why these two first verses in chapter 15, they are astounding. Because if you don't recognize what is happening, this is the second person of the divine trinity. Jesus Christ, and he is welcoming and eating with sinners. And if you, if you haven't really thought about how astounding that is, you're not seeing this deeply enough. You're not seeing this story deeply enough because of sin. And here's Jesus welcoming and eating with sinners. So as we walk through this, this story, um, I'm going to give us three words that we're going to talk about. A cost, a price, and a gift. A cost, a price, and a gift. What's the cost? The cost in this story is this. The cost of sin is death and separation from God. That's the cost that's talked about in the story. The sins of the younger son separated him from his father. So in verse 13, Jesus tells this detail, the, the son squanders his wealth. The, the, the wealth of the father, the father gave to him, squanders his wealth in wild living. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say anything more about that wild living? He just allows the religious leaders that he's talking to, the Pharisees and the tax collectors, fill in the blanks. And they would have done a great job of filling in the blanks. We can see that in the older brother at the end of the story, filling in some of the blanks, because Jesus mentions nothing about what that wild living included, but the younger brother says, oh, he must have squandered that wealth with the prostitutes. The religious leaders were excellent at filling in the blanks of the sins that someone must be committing using their own imaginations. They would have enjoyed the opportunity to imagine the the sinful carousing of this young man in Jesus' story. 
because the expert, the, the religious leaders, the, the, the teachers, the experts in the law, they were experts themselves at comparing themselves with others. It's kind of like the story that Jesus tells of the two men who go to pray, one being the, the teacher of the law, the Pharisee, and one the other, the tax collector. And as Jesus tells the story, the, 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 the Pharisee prays to himself, and his prayer was all about how thankful he was that he wasn't like other people. I'm not like other people. I'm not like sinners. I'm not like uh, uh, tax collectors. I'm not murder. I'm not like those murderers or those evildoers. And the tax collector, when he made his prayer, he made no comparisons with others whatsoever because he knew that he would lose that contest. And so rather, he simply prayed that God would be merciful to him. But the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were experts at comparing themselves with others. They even had a special name for people like the younger son in the story. They, those, those types of people were known as the Am Haaretz. That means people of the land. And it wasn't a complimentary title. It was used as an us versus them, them label. You know, the Pharisees saw themselves as, we're serious minded about the law of God. And we spend our time debating how you should best follow God's law. And those Am Haaretz, those people of the land, they don't care a lick for the law. In fact, there was this ancient quote from the rabbis, and it went like this. There is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. That's a, that's a cheerful little phrase that the religious experts in Jesus' day would say. And so it's easy. It's easy, I think, for the younger son in Jesus' story to be somewhat of a sympathetic figure for us because we see the religious leaders of the day and they're targeting this young individual and just thinking horrible things of him. It's easy for us to see this younger son as somewhat of a sympathetic figure in the parable. But listen, truth be told, we have to tell the truth. His sins did separate him from the Father. His sins carried him far away from the Father, Jesus describes. About him going to this far-off country. What is Jesus describing? It's how his sins were carrying him far from the Father. And his wild living might have temporarily led to pleasure, but long-term it led to misery for this young man. He wound up being so hungry that the pig food that he was pigging, feeding to the pigs, he wanted for himself. Now, that's just gross, wanting to eat pig food. But as Jesus tells the story, he doesn't even get to eat the pig, the pig food. No one gives him anything. He's so hungry, he would even settle for pig food. And that's what sin does to us. Sin may satisfy momentarily, but ultimately has this emptying effect on us so that we will even settle for pig food eventually. So sin may give short-term pleasure, but long-term it empties us. And the more we have of something, the more we need of that something for us to be fulfilled. And so sooner or later when you're pursuing sin, you become a slave to sin.
So this is the picture that Jesus is painting through the younger son of what sin does to us. It carries us a long way from the father. But it wasn't just the younger son whose sins carried him far from the father. The sins of the older son separated him from the father as well. So when the older son, he's, he's coming home from the fields, and he, he hears something going on in the house, and it's, this, it's music. And it must have been really loud, because not only does he hear music, what else does he hear? Dancing. That's some loud partying going on at the house. And so he asks one of the family servants, what's going on in the house? Give me the scoop. And the scoop that he got was his older, that his, not his older brother, he's the older brother, that his younger brother is now home. And the whole house is celebrating in his honor. Verse 28, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 28. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father had to go out and plead with him. Come in, my son. Come in, my son. You get the picture of the separation. His father would be inside, inside the celebration, while the older son stewed and steamed outside. And, and y'all who have read this parable before know that there's not really an ending that Jesus gives about what the older son does. Does he stay outside? Does he go into the party? We're not told why, because Jesus doesn't want to let the religious leaders off the hook in them deciding for themselves, am I going to continue to compare myself with others who I see more sinful than I am? He's telling them, you've got to decide for yourself. You're going to go inside that party because that's where the Father is. So make no mistake about it. If you do not go inside the house for the celebration, you will be outside and the father is going to be inside. And so the older brother, too, was still separated from, the, from, from his father. The younger son was separated by many, many, many miles from his father. And yet, the older son just separated by his father with, from his father by a few feet. But he was still as far away as when that younger son was miles off in a far So notice, you can't measure your closeness to God by a physical distance. Have you thought about that? You can't measure your closeness to God with a physical distance. That older brother was so close, yet smug in his heart, so close distance-wise, but smug in his heart, self-righteous, bitter towards his brother, And so he was still just as separated from the Father. So that needs to be a lesson for us. Being in a church building doesn't make one close to God, does it? Being in a church building on Sunday morning doesn't make one a Christian. Just like being in a car doesn't make one a, uh, in a garage doesn't make one a car. Or being in a McDonald's doesn't make one a Big Mac. And you've heard that analogy said before by different people. Just by, because we're here in this church doesn't make someone a Christian. There has to be some interchange, right? Some coming home. Some going inside to the celebration itself. How does that happen? Second word, 
There's a price. By recognizing that there's a price and by knowing who pays that price. See, the cost of their sins is this alienation from the Father. They're far away from the Father. There's a price that must be paid for the cost of the sins of these two sons. Now, the younger son definitely realizes that. In the wake of wasting his father's resources and wealth, he knows there's a price. There is a price to pay for me squandering all of this. And that day, there was a custom known as the Kezazah ceremony. Kezazah was this, this term, this Hebrew term for cutting off. And when a young man left the Jewish community in a rebellious fashion, just like this younger son did, when a, when a, when a son would, would leave rebelliously and squander off family money, just like this younger son did, and would go live among non-Jewish people and make a wreck of their life and then return home, the community would be waiting for him. It's called the Kezazah ceremony. They would be waiting for his return. They would have a pot, this clay pot. And when, the, when that wayward person would return to the community, they would smash that pot on the ground. And it was a sign, you have smashed this relationship between us. It's, it's in disrepair. It's in pieces. You're not welcome back. And that was the Kezazah. It was a ritual to shame that 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 returning young man. So, in our story, you wonder why the father runs out when he sees his younger son at a distance. Why does the father run out to meet his son? Yes, he's so glad to see him coming, of course, and he wants to run out to meet his son. And he runs because he knows he has to beat the community members out to his younger son before they can smash this clay pot and do the kezazah ceremony at his feet. So you've likely heard that in Jesus' day it was shameful for, a young, for an older man to run. Have you heard that? You've heard that. It was shameful in Jesus' day for a, a man to run because they didn't have pants. They had to kind of pull up their, their robe garments and show off their legs. And, and that was... You, know, it was, you just didn't do that, showing off your legs and running. You know, they look kind of foolish running. Old guys today, we look foolish running. You know, some things haven't, haven't changed. Um, but it was, it, was, it was shameful for a man, an older man, to run in that time. So look who pays the price for that young man's sins. Who pays it? It's not the son who pays the price. It's the father. The father in the story takes on his son's shame. I will bear that shame, my son. And again, it wasn't just the younger son who committed that great offense. It was the older son as well. Um, there, there was a great church pastor and teacher. His name was uh, Kenneth Bailey. And uh, before he died, and I think it was 2016, he was known as, in, in America, he was known as the authority on ancient Middle Eastern custom. Kenneth Bailey lived, he grew up in the Middle East, came back and, and taught. Um, 
And he says something remarkable about this, this story of the, the prodigal son, this Luke chapter 15 story. Um, when he teaches about this parable, he would point out that in that culture, when you threw a party, like the, like the father threw that, that celebration, the host never was to leave his guests. It would be an insult for the host of the party to leave the party because that would be insulting to the guests that had, had come. He was to be a gracious host and stay with a guest. It would have been shameful for the host of the party to leave. Well, think of Jesus' story that he tells. The older brother refuses to go inside to the party. What does the father have to do? Go outside, leave the guests. So the older son puts his father in the position of leaving his guests, which was a humiliating act for that father, the host of the party. Ken Bailey says, in that culture, the father would have have every right to have a servant go out there and, and beat that rebellious son for being so disrespectful. But he doesn't do that. Who pays the price for the older son rebellion? Not the older son. It's the father. He absorbs that shame of leaving the guests. He goes out, sacrifices his honor, just like he sacrificed his honor when he pulled up his robes and raced out to meet his younger son at that distance. So here's the price in this story. It is only by God's sacrifice that we can return to a true relationship with our father. The gospel is that God has sacrificed his honor so that ultimately we could be honored. See, in Jesus Christ, God took on human flesh, very God of very God, and he was born ultimately, why? To suffer, to give up his honor, to die a disgraceful criminal death. Why? So that we could receive honor. So that when you appear before God, God says to you, not, what have you done? But put a ring on your finger. Put a, put a robe on this child of mine, and we will celebrate a party we will have in your honor. And that leads us to our final word, a gift. This gift of a celebration. This gift that we receive. The only way to truly understand this parable is to realize that Jesus is describing this gift and neither of his sons really understand what's going on. The older son, when he sees this celebration going on, what does he say? Dad, I have always obeyed you. Why haven't you done this for me? What did he see the gift as? Payment, a reward. What was due to him? That's misunderstanding the gift. And the younger son doesn't understand the gift either. How so? It seems like the younger son, when he returns home, he gets his father, doesn't he? He's like, oh, I'm miserable out of this far-off country. I'm starving to death. I'm in a mess of things. I'm going to go home. Seems like he's kind of getting the father. The father, that's, that's where the good stuff is, right? That's where real food is. So the younger son is coming home. But think about what he says to the father. See, he could have said, this is what he could have said. He could have said, Father, I have sinned against you. And all I want to do is return to you 
if you'll have me. That's all that I need. I just want to come home. But that's not what he says to his father. What does he say? Look at verse 19 in the story. Comes home. Father runs out to meet him. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I will work for you, Dad. I will work for you. He thought, maybe this will work. Maybe I can pay off my debt. Maybe that'll help things out, smooth things over with my dad. A son, uh, that may be over at least for a while, but maybe I can work off my debt as a servant. You ever feel like that? Do you ever, do you ever feel like, oh, maybe God's just ashamed of me? You know, I, I just haven't been doing good lately. Like not physically good, but just spiritually good. I've been not. My heart hasn't been into my faith. Maybe you feel that way. I just haven't been praying much or reading the Bible much. I've been. Missing out and gathered together on Sunday morning. Have you ever thought that? Just, gosh, God, you must be a little ashamed of me. Have you thought that? So you might think, all I need to do is just try a little harder. And what I want to do is I want to suggest to you something about repentance, this turning to God. Repentance is not just trying a little harder. That is not repentance. Repentance is not feeling before God, God, I'm going to get this right this time. I'm going to try a little harder. Yes, repentance. In repentance, there is real feeling sorry for sins. And I'm sure this young man felt very sorry the way that he made a mess of things. But we don't repent by saying to God, God, I'll do better next time. And so when the younger son meets up with his father on his way home and begins his spiel about not deserving to be a son, I'll, be, I'll work for you instead, Dad. The father just quickly cuts him off. It's like his father saying, yeah, yeah, we're not going to have any of that, my son. See, coming home is not about repaying the father or reporting for duty. So let's get this straight, son, the father says. <laughs> You're going to get a ring and a robe because you are my child. The younger son wasn't making the relationship right by returning home. It was the father that made the relationship right by saying, you get a ring, you get a robe. Look what the father says in verse 23. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and alive again. He has lost And he is now found. Now, how do you find something? You find something by looking for it, by searching for it. And right before this story, Jesus tells another story about a a shepherd going out to find a lost sheep. Remember that story? Ninety-nine sheep are safe in the pen and one wanders off. The The lost sheep is not found because it wanders home. It is found because the shepherd goes out and searches for the sheep and finds it. And then Jesus tells a story about a woman who loses a very precious coin for her in the the house. 
and she searches over for this coin. The coin is not found by flipping itself on its side and rolling back to the, to the woman and hitting her foot. That's not how the coin is found. She finds the coin. The, don't you see? This young son is not found by him coming back. The young son is found by the father going out and searching for him. So the party is not about how good the younger son is now or how he's promised to make amends for his his sins. The party is about the love of the father that moved him to go out and find his son. So here's the gift. The gift is this. God pursues you to give you life in his love. God pursues you. This is God's response to sin. I'm going to pursue after you. God does not pursue you after you repent. God pursues you before. And this should completely change the way that we see repentance. Let me give you a few ways, just to close, how I think this changes the way that we see repentance. One, um, Repentance is not about getting your act together. And if you're like me, you want to make repentance a little bit about getting your act together. (laughs) We want to think, hey, God, we're making good strides, and don't you see what we're doing? Aren't, Aren't we doing good? Aren't we doing good, God? Repentance is not us getting your act together. Repentance is a response to what God has done in Jesus Christ, making us perfectly righteous before God by dying on the cross. God shows kindness to us, and we can respond in repentance. Repentance, another thing, is not about making me feel right. Uh, Truth be told, I was thinking about this story. I love it when I see sinners coming to God. I mean, I love it. I'm not like one of these religious leaders that's like, ah, you know, or the older son, ah, I don't want to see my younger son coming back and having this party. I love that. I love I love it when I see sinners or humanistic, pagan-minded atheists coming to God. I'm like, yeah, I love that because it makes me feel like I'm right. Like, yeah, see, I'm right. I'm right about what I believe about God. And now they realize that I'm right, and they're on Team Jesus. That we're all together, and we're here to prove that we're right and everyone else is wrong. It's pretty easy to make repentance about feeling like I'm right. And to see this party that is thrown as, hey, the the right people are finally winning. That's not what that party at the end of this parable is about. That party is not, now the worldly guy is living on the straight and narrow path party. That party was just God saying, you're my son, I'm committed to you, and I'm going to go after you until you realize how much I love you. So invite us as we, as we go into to this Easter season um, to think about our repentance before the Lord. Um, my repentance is um, not me trying to prove to God that 
I'm on the right path now. My repentance is saying to God, I need you like I need air to breathe and food to eat for my existence. That is repentance. What does him say? I need thee every hour. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. That is repentance. Why do I need the Lord? Because life is this relationship with Jesus and walking in his love and knowing that there's not one thing I can do to make Jesus love me more and there's not one thing that I can do to make Jesus love me less. He's pursued after me. Even when I'm getting everything wrong and he still makes me his son. And so we can repent. I invite you to join me over the next few weeks as we talk about this way. And Ash Wednesday service coming up, our chance to be thankful to God for choosing us to be his children and and to repent and to say, God, I need you every hour. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior, Thank you for showing us your heart by eating with sinners. Thank you for not waiting for them to clean up their act before you ate with them. Thank you for being in a relationship with us that is not initiated by our good works, but rather initiated by your good and perfect love for us. Help us to know of your amazing and deep and unending love for us, your commitment to us. Help us to respond with real repentance, confessing our need for you and relying on your goodness to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.